Welcome to the Shield Your Business from Chaos podcast, where there's no building, no people, no third-party suppliers, and no systems all combined to create Chaos the Dragon, which is battled by King Phoenix and his shield. Hi, welcome to the KISS BCP podcast. I'm your host, Roswita Fur. Like and subscribe to the KISS BCP podcast wherever you listen or watch. And now, on with the show. Today, I'm talking with Bruce Wingert and Luke Segu. We're going to do something a little bit different in terms of format. Uh, Bruce actually suggested that we do a roundtable discussion. And today's topic is going to be why not to let your C-suite run an incident. Um, I'm going to let Bruce introduce himself first, then Luke, and then we'll dive right in. Thank you. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity here. And hopefully this does go well because you now set it up as Bruce suggested this. So huh. I, I, I hope it goes well for all of us. Uh, and I want to apologize to everyone that's watching this uh, right now, if you're actually watching as opposed to just listening. Uh, my video is a little off because I'm using my phone, but like a good business continuity resiliency manager, I had a backup plan because my PC wasn't working, so I called in via phone. So that's why you see the, the wide angle lens here. Um, I have roughly 20 years experience in business continuity and disaster recovery. I, I made my way up through the IT world uh, and jumped over to, to disaster recovery and then expanded into business continuity. Uh, I, I've done this in the financial industry and the retail industry, um, business process outsourcing, and in the insurance industry. So, uh, and including the healthcare industry. So, a, a lot of different backgrounds for me, um, and hopefully provide a little bit of experience and um, my my trials that I've gone through with everyone today. Some of you might recognize Bruce. He has been uh, a past guest on the uh, Kingsbridge Kiss BCP podcast, and I really appreciate you suggesting this today and um, taking the time to join us. Luke? Yeah, uh, thanks for the, uh, the invite again. Um, looking forward to this topic. I think when we talked about it maybe maybe a month ago, it was something that we were thinking about, uh, you know, what is the role of the C-suite and uh, how, what, what role should they play during an incident? Um, I've uh, I've got about 20 years of experience as well. Um, started off in a, a large um, integrated oil company uh, where BCP and disaster recovery, incident response, safety was top of mind. Um, currently work for a mm -hmm. midstream and utility company where uh, similar focus on business continuity and, and disaster recovery. Um, so uh, very similar to Bruce's experience and uh, looking forward to the uh, topic today. Good. Thank you. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'm your host, Roswita Firth. I have approximately 20 years of experience in business continuity and disaster recovery, um, serving industries such as financial services and the energy industry, um, as well as a couple of others. So um, I'm your host, and we are going to go ahead and uh, kick it off. I like what Luke started to say about sort of the role of the C-suite during an incident. So maybe we'll just briefly uh, talk about that and then go into the sort of why that's not ideal when they when they do run an incident. Go ahead and uh, start us off there, Luke. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this, you know, what, what does the C-suite do at 
uh, during a crisis because it's such a unique uh, event in, in a, mm -hmm. for a company. Um, you don't see too many of these. And when we're talking about really uh, significant events, those are kind of, it could make or break the business and impacts customers and um, uh, government agencies, regulatory agencies. So that, that role around the C-suite to continue to have uh, that engagement, uh, I think, is important um, and allowing the crisis management team uh, or the business continuity team on the back end to uh, to do their work and enable them to make decisions really, really quickly. Um, I also think that one of the important pieces for, for the C-suite is to make sure that the team is still doing all the right things. Um, most of the companies have core values and mission statements, and you want to make sure that you're not throwing those out of the way uh, during an incident as well. So I think it's really important for them to, to set the tone at the top that um, we're still going to do the things the right way, uh, but this team mm -hmm. has the um, uh, the ability to make decisions really, really quickly, and uh, they have the trust in that team uh, to do those things. Yeah, excellent point. Yeah, and if, if I could add on to that, um, you know, one of the things that I've been able to leverage in, in my past is to kind of divide up both the C-suite and incident management team, emergency response team, whatever you want to call them at different companies. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I kind of look at it as two different things. You have your emergency response team that is the, the tactical response. They're the ones that are actually responding to the issue. And then you have the you know, the, the leadership team or the uh, C-suite, they are the strategic vision for the company. So they're not going to be getting into the day-to-day -day individual tasks when an incident occurs. Uh, they're going to be talking to the board of directors. They're going to be talking mm -hmm. to Wall Street if it's a publicly traded company. They're going to be dealing with, the again, the strategic vision of the company. Uh, but I do think it is very important to have um, you know, communication between both during an incident. And I've also found it very effective to have one member from the C-suite on the emergency yeah. response team, just to be kind of a liaison between the two so that they can provide updates for whatever the incident manager may or may not be providing back uh, mm -hmm. to the, uh, the, the leadership team too. So again, I look at it versus uh, tactical versus strategic. Yeah between both the uh, boots on the ground versus the, the generals running the show. Sure, great point. So thinking back to my experiences, um, oftentimes you've got your CTO um, or CISO <clears throat> sponsoring business continuity, um, even if perhaps that's not who should be the sponsor, but historically that's really common. And um, thinking about that, my observation has been that oftentimes they tend to be really involved in decision-making, um, perhaps where the business continuity director or business continuity manager might be able to fulfill that role, but oftentimes your CTO is, is really engaged because historically they may have been really engaged when it came to actual like IT disaster recovery type events. And that can kind of spill over into a business continuity um, event that them kind of taking on that role. I personally don't necessarily think that that's ideal. Um, sometimes maybe it's necessary. If you have a fairly junior BCM, that perhaps hasn't had a lot of experience in dealing with an actual event, then I could see the need for that. But in general, 
what I've observed is that the plan can kind of go out the window. Um, and that's true of regardless of who on the C-suite might be um, kind of running an incident <clears throat> is that decisions do need to be made quickly. Absolutely. Um, but there's a reason why there's a business continuity plan, an incident response plan, and everything else that goes along with responding to some kind of a, a disruptive event. And when the C-suite jumps in and starts making decisions on the fly, oftentimes that leads to some chaos and confusion for the boots on the ground when they're getting information that's not what's been practiced, not, not what's in the plan. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts to sort of go in that direction for the conversation. Um, anybody have an experience that they're able to share? Actually, yeah, and I, I mm -hmm. wanted to pose a question to, to oh. yourself and to Luke as well. Um, I've never had, oh, how can I say, maybe defined ways as to when to bring the C-suite in. Mm -hmm. I've had incidents where they have been very, very engaged, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure everyone on this call and listening has probably realized that with COVID. You know, yeah. when COVID first hit, everyone, you know, you had your both your emergency response team as well as your C-suite actively engaged, maybe in, in alternate meetings or maybe all together in one or whatever it was mm -hmm. for each each company. Um, but then there has also been other incidents where I've engaged with the emergency response team. And yeah, I don't want to say that the, the C-suite didn't really care or didn't need to know as frequently, but there wasn't a threshold that I had. It was more of a gut feeling and probably a lot of it was dictated down from that liaison on that mm -hmm. emergency response team, whether it's the CIO, the CTO, uh, whatever she or he is suggesting as to how much they should be engaging their peers on the uh, the executive team. So mm -hmm. I would love to hear what your thoughts are if you've had any uh, incidents where you've engaged with the emergency response team, but not too much with the uh, the leadership team. I think that's probably true for smaller incidents that might be localized. Um, but something that came to mind when you were asking the question and, and kind of describing the circumstances is there's often, if not always, but there's often a business continuity leadership team kind of between the incident response or business continuity team and the C-suite. And there may be members on from the C-suite on that BCLT um, but also depending on the company that could, those people could be at sort of the director or VP level. Um, and they might be engaged in an incident um, from a str more strategic position and reporting about an incident goes up, you know, whether that's hourly or three, four times a day, depending on the severity of the incident <clears throat> and leadership's desire to be updated. Um, that BCLT um, is sort of a more appropriate place for incident command to reside um, rather than the C-suite. And sometimes there's a lot of overlap on those teams, but definitely not always. Um, like I said, that could be sort of director or VP level. Um, I've definitely been involved in events that were, were not sort of major huge disasters where the sponsor might be informing the C-suite just daily, um, but the C-suite's really not doing anything other than kind of taking information in. What about you, Luke? 
Actually, Luke, Luke, let me interrupt real quick here. And just going back to what you just said. So are you suggesting almost a third team in there? Because I'm not familiar with that. I, I've usually had the emergency response team, which is usually maybe vice president level and down. But you mentioned a, a business continuity leadership team almost, as a. Yeah. And so who who is on that team as opposed to being on the emergency response team? And I'm sorry to interrupt you, Luke. I just wanted to get clarification before we move too far away there. Yeah, I think I think the difference is partly terminology. Um, incident response in most of the places that I've worked um, has tended to be more um, sort of maybe director of facilities or or director of safety, along with the BCM and and several other representatives. Um, but honestly. The business continuity leadership team was heavily involved in many of the incidents um, that I was was involved in, and they could be at a similar level, like I said, director or VP. Um, but the BCLT, in my experience, typically involves people from all of the primary business areas. So you'd always have sort of a human resources representative, somebody from finance um, operations, for example, IT. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, but just kind of some of the bigger, bigger ones that that you would want on a team um, kind of overseeing an incident if if the overall incident command didn't reside with your business continuity manager, which it which it also could. Does that help clarify? It does. And I, again, it's just I, I, from your experience and maybe Luke's too, you know, everyone, every company is going to be different. You know, I, I've not seen that in my experiences. Normally, again, it's it's the division between the tactical and the strategic mm -hmm. and the tactical is everyone that you probably mentioned on your two teams mm -hmm. all grouped together as one. And, you know, it's if it is a localized or some type of smaller event, when you bring those people together, some people might excuse themselves. Some people might say, you know what, I don't need to be involved with this because it's not that big of an incident or it isn't impacting our area. So I'm going to step mm -hmm. away from it. But mm -hmm. so it sounds like those two are kind of a mixture of what I would consider just are the standard emergency response mm -hmm. team. And yeah, I'll... yeah. My, and I think that's my my experience as well. We've um no two incidents are the same. So you have to have that ability to uh, yeah. uh, scale the team up and down um, the way that you need it. <clears throat> One of the things that I've seen work um, quite well in my experience has been um, establishing the cadence of how are you going to update leadership and who's mm -hmm. going to be doing that role. Um, ideally, you would have the same types of roles that are, that are always communicating upwards um, as well as downwards. Um, and you want to have... Uh, the smallest number of voices that are doing that communication, but if, when you establish that that cadence, it helps out a lot. Um, my experience has been similar to yours, Bruce. There's been times where um, uh, there's a lot more communication, like every 30 minutes, an hour, if it's <laughs> customer facing, if it's a safety incident, um, if there's a large financial impact. And there's other times, um, you know, COVID's a good example where it might not warrant a two-hour update. Uh, it's a little bit less hands-on there as well, but um, yeah, I think establishing the time frame of when you're going to be communicating and who's going to be communicating helps out a lot. That's a lot of things you can do as part of testing as well. Yeah. yeah, and and Luke, just to add on to that, COVID, my gosh, it it, it changed business continuity as all of us have ever seen it. You know, yeah. everything that we knew was kind of thrown out the window, and even the World Health Organization and the CDC were, was revising their guidelines based upon a real life mm -hmm. event because 
I'm sure many of our pandemic plans said that we were going to do this, this, and this, and all of a sudden it hit, and we had to, well, wait a second, it's really not exactly like that. So um, <clears throat> I, I will say that during COVID, um, the, the company that I was working at did a phenomenal job at bringing the emergency response team together, giving them the information, and then ending the meeting and letting people go to work. I have heard horror stories from teams and from other companies where they've brought their people together and they were literally in meetings for half a day. And that half of a day while you're in a meeting, you're not being productive outside of that meeting. Yeah. So, you know, much like you were saying, Luke, about the cadence, but also the having that incident manager who will just say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what is happening. Now, everyone, you know, do we have any questions about this specifically? If not, go do your business, yeah. you know, let the finance team go do their stuff and uh, business or the, the realtor team, they go do their business, et mm -hmm. cetera. So uh, just, uh, you know, a, a not only the cadence, but just having that structured format when you're bringing the team together helps. Mm -hmm. yep. So I kind of want to move the conversation into the potential issues when someone on the C-suite wants to run an incident. <clears throat> Obviously, that's not necessarily something that you can address during an incident because if they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it. Um, and that you may just have to you know, deal with any ramifications of that, positive or negative, and then address it in a post-mortem and try to prepare for the next event in such a way that the normal chain of command is followed, emergency response or whoever is, is calling the shots and information is going up to the C-suite, um, but they're not necessarily specifically running the incident. Um, something that comes to mind as far as potential issues is something that I mentioned, I think, earlier, which is veering too far off of the actual plan. Now, there's times when that might actually be necessary. If the business continuity plan isn't as robust as perhaps it could be, or it's a fairly new program and there's not been a lot of experience in exercising or actual events, then maybe it's appropriate for somebody on the C-suite to step in and kind of run things. On the other hand, you risk disrupting a well-oiled machine if you have a pretty mature team and, and robust planning already in place when somebody, whether it's somebody from HR or another role that kind of feels like they need to be stepping in, making decisions that kind of go counter to what's been planned, there's a real risk there that um, things aren't gonna go as, as people planned for. Um, Luke? Do you want to comment on yeah, that? I, I think you said it. I think the robustness and trust that you have in your BCP plants makes a huge difference in, um, in how active uh, other members of the team fall in. I, I always say that the intent is usually pretty good. You know, the, everybody wants to help when there is a crisis. Um, but if you have a plan, sometimes that help can actually hinder the, uh, the way that you're recovering or the way that you've tested the plans in the past. I, I do find that uh, where you deviate from the plan is when the plans just simply are not uh, well-oiled and they haven't been practiced in a certain way and somebody feels like we're not quick enough to to react to the crisis and somebody needs to step in. But, um, you know, that trust gets built through practice and 
going through plans together um, and establishing those those roles right up front. But I, I like, like I said, I, I do find when uh, the plans aren't great, um, uh, you might as well throw the plans away at that point. I'm glad you mentioned trust um, because that is a really good point, especially between groups. And I'm thinking vertically in an incident. If if your C-suite has trust in your emergency response team or your business continuity leadership team, and, and that team has trust in sort of the next level down, um, the more tactical people, then you certainly have a much better chance of responding to an event in the way that was practiced and that is hopefully most effective. Um, but if if there's not that trust, then sometimes I think sort of the C-suite can be nervous about like, especially if it's a small to medium-sized company um, of, oh, are they, are they going to mess it up? This is, this is my company that's at risk. This is, you know, my reputation or whatever the case may be. What do you think, Bruce? Yeah, I, I agree to things that both you and Luke said, you know, that trust, um, and that comes over time. Uh, if you're a brand new person in a company and you've only been there, uh, you know, for a couple of months at a time, mm-hmm. you haven't built that, you know, relationship yet back with your your C-suite. So they might try to step in at that point and, shall we say, overstep their boundary. Uh, and that's where, you know, a, a corporate, you know, a crisis management plan or an incident management plan, whatever you want to have, you know, where it lays out, these are the steps. This is who's going to be charged or in charge during an incident. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to communicate between the two teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you touched briefly on the business continuity plans. And I, I, I will always say that having lived through fires, tornadoes, and earthquakes, individual department business continuity plans those are your sanity checks because after an incident, people instinctively do their response, their emergency response. They're going to do those things that they need to to try to bring things up. Then they're going to pull out that business continuity plan and say, oh, okay, yeah, here's our 10 steps or whatever it is. Yeah, oh, oh I missed step three. I'm going to go back and revisit that. I have yet to see someone you know, respond to a tornado and all of a sudden pull out their business continuity plan very first thing and say, we're going to do this, this, and this. Because again, as long as you know that what you should be doing and instinct is going to be kicking in big time there too. So having those big plans, um, and, and, and you mentioned it a couple of times, you know, sometimes those plans change and the, the best plans out there are flexible plans, um, you know, because if you can't adapt to individual events, boy, you're really going to pigeonhole yourself into trying to do a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. with one single plan. Something you said makes me really nervous, and that is the instinct, and that kind of kicks in first, and then you pick up your plan. That makes me really nervous, because the whole mm-hmm. point is to follow the plan, and yeah. not everybody necessarily has good instincts and some people kind of freak out in a crisis and so starting with that plan I think is key now if you're talking about like the instinct of you know making sure everybody's safe of course I am in agreement but if you're actually talking about like okay bringing systems up and oh I forgot to do step three and now I have to go back 
that's very troublesome to me because you know especially when you're talking about systems um if if you get past step three and realize that you forgot it you might really be messing with things and not everything will work as it should um yeah that, that like completely stressed me out to hear you say that i wonder <laughs> i wonder if that's reality, the um, but go ahead luke i was just gonna say i wonder if that's the the discipline that has to be um driven through whoever your crisis manager is at, at that point right mm -hmm. and i and we can go on an, an entire uh, uh sidetrack on you know what level of the organization should that role be where should it sit should it be a permanent role uh do you do off the side of your desk whatever that happens to be but i think if you have a strong person at the top that's reminding the team that you're going to have to have some sort of balance between the instincts and there is a plan uh, i think it's human nature to go off your instincts Right. Um, but hopefully those instincts are informed by the practicing and the testing. Uh, but you are in a stressful situation. You are going to miss some key steps um, because it's it's different than than when you're exercising a, a plan. But I, I found that if you have that a really, really strong senior leader um, that is doing this for a living, they will instill that, that discipline on, on the rest of the team. But a lot of companies don't have that. Um, depending on the size of your organization, you might not have the uh, the ability to dedicate a role to something like that. Yeah, and and to that point, Luke, I I, I agree. You know, it, it's the exercising, it's the planning, the preparation, making sure that people have kind of walked through this themselves. Uh, and and Rose, with it, to talk about the, you know, making sure you have a strong commander. Yeah, to to refresh that with people. You know, to kind of remind them from the get-go, hey, this is what we need to be doing. This is what we need to focus upon, et cetera, et cetera. Pointing out that you do have a plan in place, um, but it, you know, on the other side of it, it's, you know, technology folks, those are, that's always a challenge because a lot of times IT people, they are natural troubleshooters. They mm -hmm. see an issue and they're just going to start to troubleshoot it. They're going to try to do things, whatever their way they, to, to bring it up, uh, to bring up whatever system that they handle. Uh, as quickly as possible. And yeah, so that's when it, you know, it really becomes a, a, a challenge, but it's, hey, human nature is always going to be the biggest thing that everyone is dealing with during a, an emergency. You know, we, yeah. we can say that the, we have the best plans in the world, but human nature is going to win out every single time. Yeah, absolutely true. You know, we, we're, the Dedicated role, I think, Luke, is really important in this conversation because if you don't have a dedicated role and you've got somebody who has this as an add-on to their job, I think that's when it becomes extra important for someone who is seasoned overall in the business to be responsible for an incident. Um, before we wrap up for the day, though, I'm curious if either of you can share anything specific that you've experienced or observed as far as sort of the C-suite being in charge of an incident and that not going the way that perhaps that it should have. Um, I wanna circle back around to that before we close. Luke, I'll let you jump on that first if you want. I, I you know, I don't think I have anything that's that I would call specific around around mm -hmm. that area where, where I have seen uh, that occurring is there's been a couple of I would say uh, key items that would drive something like that. There there isn't the trust in the relationship uh, between the the team that's responding, and then there's mm -hmm. a feeling that um, if I don't jump in, um, 
you know, I, I have a senior enough role and responsibility to to step mm-hmm. in. And like I said, the, the intent is always good, but it's yeah. it's uh, born through you know lack of trust on on the team. I think mm-hmm. uh, weak business continuity plans, weak testing, weak exercising of those uh, of those emergency plans and BCP plans uh, drive some of that behavior as well. And I think the lack of communication would be the third one. If if you're not providing the right level of information and the right cadence of information to that group, um, I can see that that result in people mm-hmm. wanting to step in and stepping away from their their current role. So mm-hmm. I think that recipe of uh, of those three elements um, allows the focus on the emergency team to to execute what they're they're designed to do. Yeah, really good point. What about you, Bruce? Do you have uh, an observation? I do. I do have an observation and actually even tales from uh, other peers in our industry um, that, you know, do the same thing that we do. And uh, mm-hmm. what I have found and heard is that sometimes the uh, the C-suite person, they'll jump in from the beginning uh, almost as a matter of, again, just natural reaction because of the audience, because they, you know, the other executives are on calls too. They're going to try to to run the show because that's that's their jurisdiction. You know, they mm-hmm. oversee the business continuity side of it. So they want to actually be providing that information. Um, and then what I have noticed, and thankfully so, is that maybe after that first meeting or two, the that C-suite person who may have jumped in starts to kind of step back into the shadows and lets the process play out. Mm-hmm. You know, what you actually have documented in your incident management plan so that the true incident commander can then you know, lead the the meetings from there on out. And do so their job, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a, again, kind of that human nature thing from, you know, I, I this is my department, this is what I own, I'm going to provide the updates from the beginning. Yeah. And then, you know, once you get into a, shall we say the chaos has started to calm down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, the adrenaline is no longer flowing. So now it turns into more of a, okay, yeah, this is how we're going to to walk along that line. And and the you know the one thing I do want to ask of both of you is, from an incident commander point of view, you know, where do you see that? Is that a director level? Is that a VP level? Is that the business continuity manager level? You know, again, every every company is going to be completely different. But mm-hmm. would love to hear your thoughts there because we don't want the C-suite jumping in. So who should be or who is yeah. in your worlds? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's it has to be somebody senior enough that the C-suite trust um mm-hmm. that group and and uh when we've designed uh that role in the past it's it has to be at least three people because you obviously you're going through rotation so you need you need a good group of of individuals who know the business who know the business mm-hmm. continuity plans um and have uh, the gravitas to to lead a team as well um mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go back to your point Bruce I actually like the idea of a C-suite coming in at the start and saying this yeah. is this is the crisis. This is the situation. These people are going to be leading this team, and we can throw the org charts out of the window for a while because this is a unique mm-hmm. circumstance. So there is something um, I actually don't mind that at all uh, yeah. because that actually it actually sets the stage for uh, for that incident commander to um, uh, to do their job. Yeah. But that's that's my experience with uh, mm-hmm. with that role. Yeah, Wasn't I actually it? I like that as well. Um, Depending on the seniority of the incident commander, um, they may be able to take that on if they're VP or SVP, for example. Um, But I would normally put that role at a director or VP level, I think. And to your point, Luke, I think it should be a team and a rotation. 
Um, I think that would be ideal. I've not ever actually seen that happen, but because it's always just one person, but that would be truly ideal. Um, so I think on that note, that's what we should all be aspiring to perhaps if we've got the resources and the experience to, to make that happen because that, that seasoned um, person, whether they come from IT or human resources or um, facilities or safety, a team, a team of, of sort of all of those would be ideal to rotate through incident command. And on that note, um, I think um, we need to go ahead and close this episode for today. This was a really great discussion, and I so appreciate both of you taking the time to do this. I hope our audience finds this interesting and valuable, and um, we thank you so much for joining us. We drop a new podcast every two weeks. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you.